This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Tigers and 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. And we are welcoming back Go Tigers 2-4 founder, Brooks Hansen. He's been on a nice, long hiatus. He's finally back. Everybody is ready to hear from him again. I'm ready to I'm ready to take a bit of a break and let Brooks talk more than me. Um, so, Brooks, did you did you at least miss us? It's been us? like a year. It feels like that it. That was another bad uh, dad joke right there. But uh, Christian always complains that I talk too much in the podcast, and, and now I take a break, and, and he's complaining that he had to talk too much. So you can't win with this guy. But, yeah, it was uh, it's good to be back. The the break was nice, but uh, I I did not plan it to where I took a break when the Tigers were going to be on like a month long hiatus. Uh, but that was pretty well timed by me. Uh, it was pretty boring during that time. So, but we got a lot to talk about now. So, what are we talking about today, Christian? So I know you probably have a lot to talk about because you haven't got to talk about this team in what a month and a half or so. Um, so Kenny and I, the last podcast we recorded was after the SMU win. So we've had two games since then, a loss to SMU in Dallas, and then a win on Monday night against UCF. So let's start with the SMU game. Uh, and Brooks, I'll just, I'll just kick it to you and let you, let you start rolling on that SMU game. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot that we can take out of that game. Uh, you look at leagues that are doing back to backs. Um, those games are typically very close. You look at Sunbelt games. When a team plays one one team close, it turns around. They play a second time, and it's usually pretty close again. So Memphis, SMU had two very close games. Uh, the one down in Dallas, though, it did not. The ball did not bounce in, in Memphis's favor. Um, it was an ugly game, in my opinion. It was there was a ton of uh, stoppages, just very little flow. I thought Memphis overall was pretty good still, uh, even though they lost and. Um, but I do think that, unfortunately, when you're on the road, when you're playing a team, that's good. SMU is a really good basketball team. I was super impressed with them in both matchups against Memphis. Uh, they're they're going to win a lot of games here on out, and, and they'll make noise in the AAC uh, tournament. But when you're in that situation, when you're playing a team for the second time in three days uh, and you've had to travel – you cannot leave any doubt. You cannot leave it up to the refs to to determine the outcome of the game. And unfortunately, I, I feel like they did. Um, and speaking to people around the University of Memphis Athletic Department, uh, I feel like they did as well. Um, I actually spoke to a source with the American Athletic Conference 
uh, at the end of last week, and Memphis did file a formal uh, complaint with the league office related to the officiating. There was about 10 plays that were compiled, all due, uh, all related to calls that were either made or not made that directly affected the outcome of the game in a negative way for the University of Memphis. Now, you know, those, you could take a look at the film and, and go back and say, well, there's calls that they missed or did not call for SMU. Uh, but I, I do believe from watching the game that there was probably a buffer added in there to take into account any calls that were given in Memphis's favor and some of the more questionable ones that were not made or that should not have been called against Memphis uh, were left out. But, I mean, that's big, but here's the reality. A complaint's not going to do anything. It's not going to change the the right-hand column uh, of that game for Memphis. It's still going to be a loss. So the only thing they can do is, is take that L, learn from it, move on. Um, and I feel like they definitely did that turning around within, a, you know, it's a relatively short turnaround, less than a week, uh, coming back home and playing Central Florida. And, man, they put on a show. Uh, so you guys have any other thoughts about SMU before we move on? I, I mean, I, overall, I thought it was it was what I expected the game to be. Well, I think this is breaking news that, the Tigers had filed a complaint with the AAC. Um, do you know what the plays centered around? Like, was there one specific play? Or I know you said there was ten, but were they fouls that weren't called? Were they what were they, Brooks? Yeah, so it was uh, fouls that weren't called. Um, the goaltending uh, play was a part of that package that was sent to the AAC. Um, you know when when SMU. Uh, put the ball back in when it was still on on the edge of the rim. Um, there was the the charge that was called on Alex Lomax when the defender was actually moving into Alo and was was moving backwards and into him. He was not set. He was not in a legal guarding position. Um, and then also the end of the game, the the play at the end of the game, the hold on DeAndre Williams. Um, and then also the fact that the the ball was not tipped. I actually have a screenshot that was shared with me uh, of the high-definition game footage where you can see that the ball was not tipped on the entry pass, uh, but SMU's clock folks, they started the game clock prior to anyone touching the ball, and, and that's what led to the clock expiring as the ball went out of bounds uh, off of Landers Nolly. So not that the clock starting too early – uh, would have changed the outcome regardless of the foul being called or not. You know, if if the foul's not called, Landers Nolly tips the ball out of bounds, the game's over anyway. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's breaking news. Nobody's put that out there yet, but it's not significant news in that it doesn't really change anything. So, um, overall, I mean, I think it's due diligence on Memphis's part. I think that it's good for them to do that. I think it – uh, enhances the awareness for the league's officiating crews. I think they they now know what they've got to focus on and do a better job of, but uh, unfortunately I don't think it changes much for Memphis. Yeah, and last thing on that for me is I, I think you summed it up perfectly, Brooks. In, in a game like that where you're playing two games in three days against the same team and then in between that you're traveling – you can't you can't make mistakes. You can't leave it up to the refs in that situation. And honestly, that's a that's a difficult situation to be put in. Like Penny said before the game, 
it's the first time he you know played or coached in a back to back since the NBA. It doesn't happen in college. It's very rare. So um, in a situation like that, you pretty much do have to play a perfect game to beat the same team twice in in three days. So that's a very difficult situation to be put in. Uh, there were some some positives real quickly. I think Kendrick Davis played a much better game overall as a playmaker, but they still shut him down scoring. You know, the two games that they had against him uh, really just highlight what they're able to do against star players, especially guards. Uh, Kenny and I touched on that a lot in the last episode, but it was still impressive the way that they held him uh, on the offensive end of the floor. But, you know, even with that, even with slowing Kendrick Davis down drastically in that second game, they still weren't able to pull it off. But something that we've talked about, you know, off the air, you know, big big props to them for being able to have the have the confidence and have the you know the the coaching and the game plan to be able to come back in that game because it looked like it was over. I mean, it, it didn't look like they have a shot, and for him, for them to be able to come back, make it a game, and have have an opportunity to to win or tie the game on the last possession is really all you can ask for when you don't play a perfect game. But like you mentioned, Brooks, they did come back uh, in a in a massive way against UCF. I thought Memphis was the better team coming in in this game. I didn't think they were going to win by nearly 30 points, and they did so because of an incredible first half. Um, They didn't take the foot off the gas in the second half. They shot over 50% from the floor, nearly 50% from three. Uh, I think they had six or seven players in double figures. It was was literally almost a perfect game. I mean, they, they couldn't have played any better. We've kind of went back and forth all year. What was the best game for Memphis or what was the best half for Memphis? Was it St. Mary's? Was it the second half against Wichita State? Well, this was 100% the best game they've played all year. I know they they just mauled ECU, but that's not a good basketball team. And I don't think UCF is as good as we thought they were at the beginning of the year, but they're still a a decent team in the AAC, and Memphis absolutely throttled them. Well, uh, let me just – transition these two games i feel like there's a good bookend here uh going from smu to ucf memphis in that smu game in dallas went almost five minutes to start the game without scoring a bucket right smu gets 60 shots in that game memphis gets 48 that's i mean when you're on the road you go five minutes without scoring you get 12 less shots than the home team and you still have a chance to win the game. Uh, I mean, so that's an encouragement. But, you know, moving forward from Memphis, in the first five minutes last night against UCF, Memphis scores 17 points. 17, essentially an opportunity for Memphis to look at their film from SMU and and UCF and say what's the difference between the two and honestly you got to look at it and you say it's pretty obvious it's the starting lineup you know I think that squad came in there fired up ready to play um, they played hard and at the end of the day Memphis got 64 shots 64 shots 16 more shots against UCF than they did against SMU some of that obviously is because of how many turnovers they forced against UCF but overall those are two big things to me your first five minutes of play and the total number of shots and if Memphis can continue on that trend continue actually starting the game hot not having large scoring droughts in their games because let's just be honest like let's look at the rest of the schedule prior to SMU and Dallas it hadn't been necessarily the first five minutes some of the games it has if it if it wasn't the first five minutes though it was other times during games 
where they would just go on complete droughts four, five, six minutes without scoring or scoring, you know, two, three points. And that's just not okay. Uh, so that's a huge encouragement for me just off the bat. So let, let's start with that. Let's start with what you mentioned about the new starting lineup with Boogie Ellis at, at the one. That's something that we thought was going to be a possibility early in the year, uh, especially after the way that he finished the season last year at the point guard spot. And we went back and forth on it. All three of us did. We were like, you know, is it is it something that is a possibility? Will they try that? Or will they roll with Alex Lomax? And it's like they gave so many guys opportunities, but Boogie never really got that shot to start at the one. And visibly, that, that hurt his confidence because I'm sure he felt like he could handle that role. And he proved that he could uh, last night against UCF. So, Kenny, for you, uh, were you surprised by that move to put Boogie in the starting lineup? And, and what did you think about his performance? Didn't Penny do this last year at the end of the year with Boogie? Didn't Boogie start running point at the end of last year as well? Yeah, I think it was like the la- – I don't know if he started every game, but it was like the last ten games he got a lot more work at the one than he did at the two. And and I think that that's when we saw it last year when we saw Boogie. I mean, Boogie struggled a lot last year as well with his jump shot. You know, he would have a couple of games where he would play – you know, really well, have a, you know, a scoring outburst. But his ex- the most extended period of time of success for him last year was when he got the opportunity to start at the one. Um, and and so I'm I'm halfway expecting that to happen this year, this year as well. You know, I don't, you know, obviously the years are different. The team is different, you know, things like that. But, yeah, I think absolutely um, the, you know, you look at, the Tigers were on a on a three game winning streak, um, starting Jaden Hardaway, um, and there's a very clear um, talent differential between Jaden and Boogie. You know, uh, you know, Jaden is a steady um, a steady player. He can, um, you know, he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes out there. You you kind of know what you're going to get with him. Um, part of that is you're not going to get a whole lot of offense out of him. Boogie is the remedy to the offensive woes in the point guard role. Like he's, he's a, a bucket getter. And so if, you know, giving him the opportunity to go out there and get buckets from the immediate start of the game, you know, is, you know, clearly worked last night. And I expect to see that lineup in, in, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future for the Tigers. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think they were living on borrowed time with that, with that old starting lineup with Jaden starting. Uh, and it caught up to him against SMU because pretty much every game, even though they were winning these games, they were starting off slow because that, that first group on the offensive end just wasn't getting it done. So I think a change was necessary. I think they had to inject some kind of offense into that starting lineup because with Jaden and Alex both starting guys that are good players and play play well on both ends of the floor but aren't necessarily scorers is really going to limit what you can do on the offensive end of the floor because teams can really focus on Landers Nolly and, and DeAndre Williams because Musa, you know, outside of two, three foot from the basket is ineffective. So you really only have two players that you have to key in on uh, if you're an opposing team playing defense against Memphis with that starting lineup. But throwing Boogie in there adds another element to it, letting him bring the ball up the floor and be able to find DeAndre, Musa, uh, Landers. And you saw that last night. You saw the way that he was impacting the game on both sides of the floor, something that he really hasn't done this year. He just looked like a completely different player, so much more confidence, had uh, 11 points, uh, four steals, three assists, a rebound, 
Hey, he had three turnovers. Uh, I think two of those were in the second half. Uh, and he only played 17 minutes, so he didn't play a ton, but he had a, a, a very nice game, a good stat line, impacted the game on both ends of the floor. And that's that's what you have to have from him because we've talked about it all year with DJ. What could this team look like if DJ played up to his capability? Well, last night I think we saw what it looks like when Boogie plays up to his capability and, and how much smoother this offense operates with him in there if he's playing at that level, not forcing, not taking selfish shots. And I and what it felt like is with him starting that he didn't force it because he wasn't trying to impress anybody. He wasn't trying to get a starting spot because he already had it. So he didn't have to push. He just let the game come to him. And, you know, we see what happens when he was able to relax and play with confidence. Yeah, I mean, you look at his stat line. He only shot eight shots throughout the whole game. And he played the most amount of minutes I think he's played the entire year. You know, he – the starting lineup I – don't, I don't remember the exact timing – they were the starting lineup was in the game for the first nine minutes of the of game time, right? About about eleven minute mark is when you saw your first substitutions come in, if I'm correct. Yeah, it was when Boogie took a kind of a misguided three that Penny finally pulled the chain and decided to put uh, put some guys. Well, in. and they didn't stay he in. Isoed and shot a he shot a bad three and and Penny finally pulled the chain and put put Alex Lomax in and they didn't even really stay in so like Damian came in I think and and uh, Malcolm and DJ I think came in with Alex and they brought those guys like Alex stayed on and they brought you know the starters back in almost immediately you know within like one or two uh, minutes in the game um, but but I think that that's a you know him getting that extended amount of run at the beginning of the game allowed him to relax. Like you said, Christian, allowed him to relax and allowed the game to come to him. And instead of having to get in there and be like, I've got to be instant offense right away because I don't know how much time I'm going to get. I think he knew I'm going to get some extended minutes tonight. So let me just run with the offense and go with it and, and, and let the offense come to me. Kenny, that's a great point, um, and and it's something that people have not talked about with another play on this Memphis team, and and that's Musa Cisse. Uh, Musa Cisse has been really good for Memphis in this last stretch of games, and they won convincingly last night with him playing twenty four minutes and not being that great. Like he was okay, he wasn't great though. Uh, I mean, he's had stretches in games where he's looked tremendous because of the way that Penny Hardaway and this team have used him. But what really flipped a switch with him for me, just from the outside looking in, is when Ahmad Rand and and Lance Thomas transferred. He no longer has dudes behind him waiting on the bench when he messes up. He now gets to go in the game, relax. The only guy there that he also plays the four uh, is Malcolm Dandridge. And so Malcolm and, you know, there's not really a huge amount of pressure on Moose's shoulders to to go out there and absolutely, you know, murder people from, from the jump. He can relax. He can go in and play. He can go in and do his thing and make mistakes. Um, I mean, and you guys can go in all in on Boogie Ellis, but let me just say this. There's no dude on this team, now that he's in his rhythm, that is the glue that is holding this team together, and it's not standing out in the box score. It's not It's not obvious, but this man is doing every single thing to help this Memphis team win and, and keep on uh, pushing through 
their development offensively, and that's Lester Quinones. His minutes are down four minutes per game from last year. Last year he played almost 30 minutes a game. He's at 25 and a half this year. Uh, last night, Lester Quinones, let's just look at his box score. He incredible had 20 line, minutes. Man. Yeah. 20 minutes. Uh, finished the game four of five from the field, two of three from three. He had six rebounds, six assists, three steals, only one turnover, and 13 points. Uh, Lester Quinones, you know, in the offseason, you know, there was some rumblings that he wasn't necessarily focused and that he's had up and down moments throughout the season. But it just from the outside looking in, just watching him play, he looks like he's locked in. He looks like he's taken on a leadership role with this team. Um, you know, I'm at a point where if if I'm on this coaching staff, I'm putting more of my eggs in his basket. You know, I, I feel like if there's a dude that can take more load on his shoulders, it's him. Uh, he's making very few mistakes. He's putting guys in positions when they look like they're out of place. Uh, he's he's calling and facilitating plays and getting into sets. Uh, just been very impressed with Lester Quinones, and last night was no different. So uh, that's the guy to me in only 20 minutes that really, really stood out. And he wasn't the leading scorer. You know, he wasn't the guy that necessarily lit up the box score, but uh, his game last night was just tremendous. Um, who 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 led the team last night? Was it, uh, it was, was it Landers Nolly? Yeah, yeah, Landers yeah. led the team in scoring with 20. But Brooks, I, I think you I think you make a great point, and I think it allows us to look at the broadened spectrum of what this team has become because so many times earlier in in the year we were like okay who's going to be the scorer who's going to be the leader who's going to be the defensive guy where where is this team going to get what they need from because we didn't see it early in the year at all now when you look at it Landers is your best scorer clearly leads the team in scoring Lester and Alex are your dogs. Both ends of the floor always pretty much in every game over the past six or seven games have had very good performances. DeAndre Williams is your leader and also, you know, arguably your best two-way player. I would say him and Lester are right up there together. Um, uh, Boogie Ellis, if he continues to play like that, looks like your your spark plug and potentially your uh, starting one. Musa C says your enforcer down low. The amount of blocks that he can rack up is ridiculous. Um so when you look at what this team has now, they look like a team now, not only um, just from a visual look at them and see that they actually can play basketball together now, but when you look at the pieces that they have and where they fit together, everything is finally starting to fall into place. And this is kind of what we projected preseason of of who would do what and where everybody would fit in. And they're you know they finally figured it out. They finally know those roles they're finally executing in those roles and not doing too much and sticking to what they need to do and it's allowing them to excel on both ends of the floor I mean you look at last night they set the AAC record in steals with 20 steals they have just from looking at the box score Lester Quinones three steals Boogie Ellis four steals DeAndre Williams five steals I think that's his second game with five steals as a power forward that's insane um and they forced 28 turnovers Uh, If you don't know your role, if you aren't playing team basketball, you're not going to force that many turnovers. You're not going to have 20 assists. You're not going to shoot nearly 50% from three over the past five games. So it's just refreshing to see this team locked in, uh, playing up to their capabilities, and and beating quality teams by a pretty convincing margin. Are you guys surprised? Kenny, let me me jump in here since I – You got it. I I feel like – 
there are two things that have changed the trajectory of the season, and you can thank the COVID layoff for that. Uh, Memphis's defense going into January was already really good. Uh, the defense was never the problem. They did have lapses here and there, but uh, and then they had players that didn't seem like they were fully bought in. But overall, the defense was really good. But one thing that they installed through that kind of holiday and COVID gap was that three-quarter court trap. And it has been a thing of beauty. I, I don't understand how teams are not prepared for it. Um, it sh- they should have enough film on it now. And I just feel like the the length of this Memphis team surprises people when they get into that trap, and it is causing all kinds of problems. And that's why Memphis did what they did last night and why they set that single-game steals record in the AAC. The second thing is offense. You know, I think some people, and it's part of why I took a step back, is some people felt like I was being really hard on Penny Hardaway and this team just from talking about the offense. And I was, and it was warranted. You look at the, the trajectory of the season prior to the layoff and the holiday when they started tweaking the office, and and here's a key, actually started practicing offense, it was not good offensively. The trajectory was not good. They were they were not scoring. They looked completely discombobulated on offense. And and now they are headed in a direction to where offensively they look like a unit. They look like they know where they're supposed to be. Uh, they're getting open shots, and guess what? They're actually hitting open shots. Before, they were getting open looks, and they uh, weren't hitting them. And I don't know if that's a product of like feeling unsure of whether or not that's the shot they were supposed to be taking in that moment, or if there was additional progressions that were supposed to be made off of that read, or, or what. I don't know why they weren't hitting those shots, but they're hitting them now. And, and I feel like that's made all the difference for this team. Since the last time you were on the podcast and to today, could you have imagined that we would be looking back at a five-game stretch where the Tigers made 54 three-pointers in a five-game stretch and shot it at a 48.6% clip? Is that at the beginning of the year, middle of the year, is that something that you could have imagined? Yeah, Kenny, I think if you showed me like screenshots of different segments of games uh, before the season, like if you came back to the past from the future and you said, all right, uh, here are a couple different options of Memphis's offensive outputs, like points per game, shots per game, three-point shooting percentages. Uh, if you had traveled back to the past and showed me that in September – Honestly, I think this stretch of games would have been more believable for me than the prior stretch when they were shooting so poor from the field, when they were you know, averaging 56 points per game over a four-game stretch, when they were struggling to even score. I would have told you, you're crazy. You've got DeAndre Williams and Landers Nolly and DJ Jeffries and Boogie Ellis and Lester Quinones, and you've got all Musa Cisse with, you know, like just sitting on the baseline, catching lob dunks and putbacks and, you know, alley-oops and trans. You're crazy. There's no way this team is scoring in the 50s. So 
to me, uh, this is what they should be doing. And, you know, again, it all goes back to that offense. And I think this is a perfect point, uh, you know, perfect spot for us to take a real quick break and talk some offense. Um, Penny Hardaway said some interesting things last night that it it's very obvious that most media members don't pick up on these things. They don't know basketball. They can't watch an offensive set and tell the difference between one player and, and the other. And we've talked about it. We've hinted at it. Uh, you guys uh, mentioned it before in a previous podcast after the change was made. But now that it's officially out there and Penny Hardaway put it in cement, it's time to talk about it. So let's take a real quick break and on the other side we'll talk about Memphis's offense and the Lions set. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Um, so I, I, I kind of lied. I lied a little bit. We're not going to play one clip because you guys cannot get enough of Penny Hardaway. We're going to play two clips. There's a, a clip from a previous media availability where Penny spoke on this Memphis offense where it, it is at now uh, versus earlier in the season. And then we're also going to play a clip from last night's uh, post-game press conference after the U- UCF win. So take a listen. We'll talk about it on the other side. Well, basically, it's it's not it's not so much the Lions set because we still have that set. We put more 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 things in during that little two week break that we had when we missed those three games, and we put more motion into it. The, the Lions set is a motion set, but we really haven't had to go to it as much during this stretch. We've used it some, but not all the time. But this is just purely us running, us making the right decisions, us not trying to play one on one basketball, finding open teammates, and uh, and making shots. We were playing this way and like before the season started and DeAndre Williams was a huge part of this flow of how we played this way. And then we went to South Dakota, he was ruled ineligible and wasn't able to play. So we had to look for other people to create things and it just wasn't the same. And then it was more one-on-one basketball. It's just taken us this long to get guys to buy into playing team basketball, sharing the basketball, getting DeAndre to make plays, the guards to make plays for each other. 
and the bigs to keep running. And it's starting to look a lot like we thought it would look from the beginning of the season. All right, so you guys can hear it in that clip. Penny says the same thing I'm saying. This is what we should have been doing. This is what we knew we were all along. This is the offensive team that we we knew we could become. And, you know, I, th- I think that speaks to the work that they put in in the downtime and that what we said before, we said this on the podcast, I can't count how many times, and I said it on Twitter and I got in trouble for it, but when you want to be good at something, you put in the work to become good at it. You don't become, you know, a Rhodes Scholar by laying your head on the book and, and hoping that you become intelligent through osmosis. You you have to practice what you preach. You have to actually put the work in. And from an offensive perspective, if you want a high-powered offense, you go out there and you practice it so that when you get on the floor, you can execute it. So that's what this Memphis team is doing now. Um, and then last night, Kenny, Penny mentioned, uh, a question was asked from another media member, um, you know, about this lion set. Talk about the lion set and, and how it's helped this offense. And, you know, for those that have not been paying attention, they have not run the lion set in, in quite a while. Now, they'll, they'll sprinkle it in there because they, they did not abandon that offensive set. The reality is, like, I feel like with Penny, what we're starting to see, and I, I feel like this is kind of a hybrid off of NBA offenses, is that you don't have one straight-up offensive identity. You have concepts that you run based upon what the defense is giving you and what, what matchups you're seeing. And so what Memphis has done is they've installed a new set, a new offensive principle and that's been the majority of what they've done because it's worked. So, Kenny, what break that down, break down Penny's clip, what he had to say, and what fans should now be starting to, to see on the court and, and what type of offense it is. Well, Penny has said it from the very beginning of the year. Um, his offense, the the when when his offense is running at full capacity, and it is it is working to a like a well-oiled machine. You're going to see a lot of extra passes, a lot of movement, a lot of giving up open shots for better shots. And that's one of the things, like you saw it in South Dakota with, was it North Dakota? South Dakota? South Dakota. South Dakota. Um, you saw it in the St. Mary's game. He, um, you know, the, the offense was moving. It looked really, really good. And then the the digression that happened over the last, over the game's after that was just a lack of movement, a lack of of making the extra passes. And, you know, you're seeing that with, especially with this cutters offense, and you're seeing it with the um, the motion offense that they're running, is a lot, a lot of movement. And, and it's movement with a purpose. It's a movement to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. It's a movement to get the ball to the end of the hands of the playmakers in spots where they can actually make something happen. You know, the, the one thing about, you know, defense in college is so unique in that they're allowed to run, you know, full zone sets where there's not, you know, a defense three seconds or anything like that. Um, like, like there is in the NBA. 
Um, and so you have to move. You have to get the defensive players with their head on a swivel having to move. And and what you saw a lot at the beginning of the year was was a lack of movement from the Tigers offense. It was a lot of a lot of screens, kind of like random ball screens, a lot of things like that that really didn't create the movement that you have to have that you have to force the defense to do. Um, what I see a lot of with this with this cutters and motion offense is a lot of skip passes from if you if you cut the floor in half, there's a side A and a side B. If all your passes are from B to B to B to B or A to A to A to A, then one defender can guard multiple passes in a row because they're not having to move. The ball is not moving from side A to side B to side A to side B. You're seeing that a lot with this offense. And it's exactly what you said, Brooks. You're a thousand percent right in that you're not seeing Penny abandon the offenses that he ran prior. It's adding wrinkles to what's already there in terms of sets. Christian said this, and 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 not to completely go off basketball for a second, there was a, a podcast that, that we did a while ago where we were talking about Brady White um, for the football team. And a lot of the Memphis fans are freaking out because they weren't going long with passes. They weren't making deep passes. And, and Christian said it perfectly in this. He said, when an offensive coordinator sees game film and sees what defenses are going to do, um, they will run plays that make that will that will, I guess, um, exploit the weaknesses of the defense they're playing that week. And so, what Brady White is running, the passes that he's making, if they're short, if they're you know whatever they are, if they're long passes, it's because that's what the defense is allowing them to do at that point. And so you're seeing that with this offense is that the Tigers are forcing movement. Um, on the defensive side of the floor from the, the their opponents that is getting them open shots. And so the reason why they're hitting 48.6% of three-pointers over the last five games is because the, the shots are coming. They're open, number one, but they're open because they're coming in the flow of the offense, and that offense is causing mismatches. It's causing um, late um, closeouts um, because the ball is just hopping from side to side with a lot of movement. Yeah, I mean, there's two two types of series that you'll see a lot of in this offense with this kind of motion. There's some Princeton offense in it. There's some shuffle offense. There's some uh, chin, chin offense in this. Uh, but the goal is to create movement not only between players positionally, so you see a lot of uh, rotation between and this is where like shuffle offense comes in. You see where the one and the three become interchangeable, uh, where the two and the four become interchangeable. And the goal as they begin those movements within their offense is they begin, you know, essentially switching the one and the three, the the two and the four, and and beginning those shuffles within their positions. The goal is to create space based upon that movement. Um, so. You know, they begin their offense and transition. If the five man, like a Musa Sise, gets a defensive rebound, they will literally run the ball into a drag ball screen uh, and rim run and then set up their offense from there uh, if, if nothing goes there. But all of this is based on cuts and switching positions within those cuts and getting guys free uh, 
you know, so not every cut, not every motion within this offense is designed to get that specific player open for a shot. It may be, you know, the second or third motion for that player that actually gets them open for a shot. So it may be that Landers Nolly comes up, you know, and, and becomes the two from the four and then rotates opposite side on the baseline with a cut back, you know, back door, and he gets open for a corner three. And it was all set up with his initial movement within the offense. Uh, so they, they're playing kind of a spread pick and roll uh, type of offense that has some Princeton ball movement, but it's all predicated, like Kenny said, on ball movement. It's all predicated on player movement. Um, so I would say principles within this offense have changed some, but it's more about getting players in a position where they have proper spacing to make good plays. Uh, you know, I, I think I think the big thing overall is that this team now can stop thinking and second guessing themselves on whether or not the shot that they're about to take is the right shot. Because you see now they're taking really, really high percentage shots, and it's obvious that that's the shot that they should take in that moment. Uh, so, you know, kudos to this Memphis staff, to the, these uh, Memphis players for the time and the work that they put in to obviously implement this offense and to actually take the time to uh, to practice it, to get better at it, and to be able to execute it whenever they get into game. So, uh you know, that's definitely a big step in the right direction for Memphis. Yeah, and last thing real quick, just to kind of build on y'all's points, because I think y'all y'all made very great points and really, really perfectly hit on what this offense is now. Um, but we heard for weeks and weeks, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. And no one realized that they couldn't move the ball because there was no motion away from the ball. No one was watching the movement away from the ball because there was none. You you can't you can't move the ball and swing the ball when nobody's moving, when everyone's standing still. So that's what this changed. I think the lion set was a good bridge to this offense, but I don't think this offense is meant for that playmaker role to have one guy handle the ball, drive into the lane, and make a decision on whether to kick it or go up with the ball. Because when they did that, it had some success, but they were, it was still flawed because this team is built around being interchangeable and everyone having such a similar skill set. Not everybody on the floor because Moose is a little different, but one through four, you have very similar skill sets, guys that can spread the floor, uh, guys that can get out and play at the perimeter, that this fits so much better. Like you guys mentioned, with a four like DeAndre Williams who can spread out the floor and play at the perimeter uh, with with shooters like Landers Nolly, who's a threat to put up the ball anytime he catches it, uh, with a guy like Musa Cisse, who has shown that he can set high screens and roll uh, and and force guys to get open with his screens, why would you try to play a playmaker role offense? This this is the perfect fit to me for the skill set of the players that are on the roster, and it's what we have. I mean, I feel like we've been hammering on this for two years now. You've got to run things that fit who you have on your team. You have to build the offense around what you have, not around what you want it to be. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing an offense fit to the skill set of what Memphis's players have. And obviously it's working. Well, one thing that uh, we can talk about just to kind of close this thing out in a nice little bow is, uh, you know, talking about multi-positional players, guys that can uh, switch between guard positions and, and go down in the post that can play multiple spots. And that's, that's newcomer, uh, Jordan Nesbitt. He 
you know, he is like, what, three weeks off of his final high school game. Uh, he's supposed to be playing in for SLCA right now, and he is out there on the floor getting seven minutes in action in his first game post-clearance. And, uh, you know, I loved it. He looked like he was a man on fire. He came flying off the the bench like a bowling ball. Looked like he was ready to it like <laughs> it was like a UCF match for Jordan Nesbitt. He looked like he was ready to go and uh you know, a spark plug. I think once he settles down, kind of knows his role, uh knows when to shoot it, knows when to pass it cuz I I think last night he uh he shot in a situation where he shouldn't have shot and then he passed up shots that uh, he should have actually shot. So um, it's interesting to watch him, but he is he is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, Penny said it after the game. He was asked about Jordan, and and he said one of the things. Obviously, there was an adrenaline dump. You know, when he got into the game, first game in. You know, it was only practice with the team for a couple of a couple of practices um, after clearing the COVID protocols. Um, they came in and had energy dump and was exhausted after seven minutes of play. Well, that's not, I mean, you know, stamina and, and energy is not going to be an issue for Jordan. He's going to be fine in that regard. Um, but it was hilarious to me that he came in and, and almost got into a fight in his first game. (laughs) Hilarious. I love it. And that's, if you've, if you've watched, if you've watched highlights of Jordan Nesbitt in high school, that man's a dog. Like he he is a dog and he's he's willing to scrap, he's willing to get into the paint. One of the things that that Penny said at the end of the game is that, you know, the thing that they've been impressed with over the last couple of days of practice is the the playmaking ability that he has. Um Jordan Nesbitt is an absolute willing playmaker. He's willing to pass the ball. He's willing to, you know, to force action um into the paint and pass it out, you know, to wide open players. And, and, and I think especially at six foot seven, that's going to be a, a, he's going to be a, a, um, a force for the Tigers over the next few years. And this is only going to help him. Whatever minutes he's able to get this year is only going to allow him to be more acclimated, to be in better shape, to, um, to put on more, uh, more muscle, more weight, you know, whatever it may be that he needs. Um, this is only going to help him. Kenny, it's amazing to me watching Jordan in high school, watching him against high school guys. You're like, man, he's got a college ready body. He's ready to go. And you, you forget, you forget how much that summer between your, the end of your senior year and enrollment at your, institution how much it matters from a physical perspective man like it's crazy because like a month ago we're sitting there watching him and looking like a man amongst boys and now he looks scrawny not in i'm not saying that in a negative way but like it's the what a college strength and conditioning program can do for you is absolutely mind-blowing and so i say that to say like i can't wait to see what this strength and conditioning staff does with Jordan Nesbitt because he's got such a great frame uh, to be able to – I mean, to, we saw to, that. We saw that with Dart. We saw that with Ahmad Rand. You know, yeah. we saw the the total um, body transformation that happened with Ahmad just in a matter of months. Um, imagine, imagine what 
even more extended time is going to do for for Jordan with Darby. We, no we doubt. Know Darby. I mean, look at Musa Cisse. People forget that he was so late. He reclassified in August, and and you know he was supposed to be playing a senior year of high school. We didn't have that summer. He didn't have you know that time to be able to get acclimated to a a college strength and conditioning program. Get get in the weight room start eating 4,000 calories a day or even more for him because of how big he is. <laughs> um, and so he he went from in, in high school looking like a man amongst boys. And he came in and man, you're like, man, he's skinny. He's skinny. Like he's not strong enough. He needs to put on weight. He needs to get stronger. And he's slowly but surely doing that. But man, it's so – People don't forget how much it matters. Strength and conditioning, the weight room. You got to be a big boy to play in college high major basketball. It, it makes a massive difference. I don't know if y'all noticed. Did y'all notice the box score? What Jordan Nesbitt is listed as? He does not have a position. He's listed as an athlete. I don't think. I don't. I don't That's think I've ever seen I've that before. Ever That's seen new. That. I've never seen that for a college basketball player. I've. You know, it's positional. Only football is where you see athlete listed. But uh, I love it. I love what I saw from Jordan last night. Love what I saw from the Memphis offense. So, guys, you got anything else? National Signing Day tomorrow, Christian? Big day? We'll see. We'll see. I'm not yeah, – we'll, if, if we have anything, it'll be in the VIP threads. But also – A.K.A. stay tuned. We completely forgot to mention, this is our 100th episode. We made it 100 episodes somehow. This is our 100th episode. Yep. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's. I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> we went back and I was looking at some old footage of when we started Tigers in 20, the video form, the video um, um, editions. And we've come a, we've long, come way. a long way. Yeah. We've come a long way. Um, and it's been, shout out to Trey Draper. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to uh, Bluegrass Bocephus. <laughs> Riley Watts, if you're out there, uh, thanks for everything you did for us over the years, uh, the last few years getting Tigers and 20 off the ground. Appreciate you. Uh, so, guys, uh, congrats on 100 episodes. Here's to 100 more. So, y'all stick around, stay locked in to GoTigers247.com for all of your National Signing Day news for anything and everything you need to know about your Memphis Tigers. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers and 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis Athletic Program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it 
in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 